right, turn with me to Joshua chapter 15, and I'm going to make a, an attempt to finish this tonight, and there's, you'll see why. There's lots of long lists of names and cities and uh, geographical points, so um, I'm going to put up maps that I think are going to probably prove to be more meaningful than names of ancient cities that you can't, I can't pronounce and you don't know where they are, so um, we'll do that. So, so far we have seen victories at Jericho. Um, the walls fell down at Ai, a little bit of a recalibration that had to happen there. And then at, um, in the Valley of Ajalon, that amazing victory, right, where the sun stood still. Um, and then they went up into the north, into Hatsar, and they had a victory there. So they, they fought victoriously against uh, two uh, main coalitions, okay? I named a couple of cities, but there were two main coalitions that they fought against. Um, and one of them was in this... Um, uh, well, I guess before I get there, verse chapter 9, I'm giving a quick review. In chapter 9, they failed with the Gibeonites and said that they would protect them. They pretended to be a faraway uh, uh, country, but they did not seek the Lord. The Israelites didn't. So they ended up having to carry their water, if you will, because once the other nations found out that the Gibeonites had made a, uh, an alliance with the Israelites, um, then, they wanted, then they attacked them, which then required Israel to come from um, the east near uh, Jericho um, over to help them out. So, um, so you had the failures with the Gibeonites. In chapter 10, you have the campaign in the south. And you guys, as I just said, you can put these maps up as we go. The campaign in the south, and you can see where it all centered in. That body of water to the right is a Dead Sea. So you're kind of in the central part of the land. They came, purple arrow um, from the east to the west, um, right there to Gibeon. And in doing this, they, they defeated all those other armies that were gathering, and they effectively uh, divided and conquered the nation. So they divided it in half. So they split it. It was, it was a great, not a, wasn't their strategy, but it was God's strategy. Then in, in chapter 11, they then have another coalition of nations that gather together in the north. And a little harder to see that map, but you can see where all the lines kind of coalesce together um, around Hatsar, and this is, uh, was the big city. This is the big deal town. Um, this is the one that everybody made alliances with. This is where the powerhouse was, a massive city, um, dwarfing all the others. Um, these others were, you know, a couple of acres, 10 acres, 12 acres of uh, a walled city. This was just a massive complex. And um, they had victory there. It was their most significant, uh, sizable victory. Um, in chapter 12, you get a summary of the kings and the land that were conquered by Moses and Joshua. In chapter 13, you have a division of land and unconquered territory. So um, the pink, whatever color that shows up as, the pink um, is uh, the conquered land. The green is the unconquered land. So... Um, that's what's given in chapter 13, and you get a, a graphical picture of that. Now, in chapter 13, uh, verses 7 through 33, um, you have a division of land. So, remember, there's two and a half tribes that hang on the east side. They're the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. So, going on to the next slide, you can kind of see... Um, uh, you got the Jordan River that goes down the middle. You got the pink, and then you got like a little, uh, I don't know, color teal, and then you have a green. And those are the three tribes that are on the eastern side. In chapter 14, and I'm, I'm doing this review because it's been a while since we've been in Joshua, but in chapter 14, um, we find out that division by lot was how each of the tribes ended up getting their uh, territorial. Um, Area, except for who? Who didn't get it by lot? Caleb. Because Caleb was one of the faithful spies that 40 years earlier had gone into the land, and Moses said, Hey, you can have um, this portion of land, and you can, you can, this will be yours. And so when they got there, he says, Hey, I want the land that I was promised, which happened to be where the giants were. He's like, yeah, I'm 80 years old, but I don't care. I want to fight the big boys. And um, he had faith, and, and he was victorious. So that kind of is a quick run up in, into what's happened as the, uh, uh, in the book of Joshua. As they're coming in, they're conquering the land. 1406 B.C. is the rough date. 
um, of this conquest that's 40 years after the Exodus of 1446. So we'll slow it down a little bit here into chapter 15 and 16. We're going to see uh, Judah, Ephraim, and western Manasseh's allotment of land. So we'll go back to that same slide we were looking at just a moment. And um, you, you'll get a sense of where they are. Judah has the, got the largest amount of land down in the south. Um, you got a little circle of Simeon that we'll get to in just a moment. But um, you have Ephraim that goes to the north and western Manasseh that's just north of them. And, and this is their land. But Judah is uh, the one that's given the largest portion. And it's in chapter 15, verse 13, that I want to begin to read here. It says, Now Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the, uh, of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Hyman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. They went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kiriath Sefer. So the Anakim were the men of great stature, right? So he said, I want to fight the giants. And indeed, he fought the giants. And he took down three of them. And so they are known as men of great stature. Um, you might want to write down Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 2, as a cross-reference to uh, who Anak and the Anakim were. But what we see in this is this is a very reason why they didn't want to come into the promised land 40 years earlier, because there are big guys there. There are big city walls, and there are big, tall giants. And Caleb, 40 years later, still has the same faith, and he goes out and defeats them, not with his own might and his own strength, but by the power of God. And this is true for us, is whatever the Lord calls us into, if we can discern his voice and know what he's leading us into, we're assured of victory. Because God is not defeated in his plans. Nobody stands to thwart the, the plan and the will of God. It doesn't matter whether it's three big you know, brothers or whether it's you know, governments or whether it's institutions. or what, It doesn't matter. When God has a plan to accomplish something, he's going to get it accomplished. What is important for us is not to worry about the resources or to worry about battle plans or any of the rest. What's important is that we hear the voice of the Lord and we step out in faith and we walk that out. Now, as we do that, we also are told to be good stewards. So there is a stewardship factor that will also be um, a part of this. Um, Jesus said, if, hey, if you're going to build a tower, you better know how much it's going to cost. If you're going to go fight an army, you should probably find out how many troops you're going to need. So there's a stewardship factor, but there's a faith factor. And it's, it, we've got to hold both of these. And there's, a, there's this wonderful tension that exists between those two places. And if like, well, how do you balance it out? The answer is, I don't know that you ever do. You just, you know that it exists. And so you're, wa you're wanting to walk by faith, hearing the word of God, hearing those um, directions that God gives you in your life. And then also, you know, you've got to manage well. And I think when we step out in faith and we don't steward well, it's called presumption. So, well, I'm just going to step out and God's got to show up <laughs> for the things he's doing. Not for your crazy and my crazy ideas, he doesn't have to show up. And so I think sometimes we do this. We, you know, we, we fail to steward it. Or we steward it so hard that we can't see the provision. And yet God is still saying, I know the provision's not there. I just wanted you to know that it wasn't there. So that when I tell you to step out and I do it, you'll know that it was me. So, yeah, when do you put your finger on this scale and on that scale? I, I, have, I have no idea. I just know we got to walk in both of those um, disciplines and both of those understandings. And, um, and, and Caleb did that. He did that. I mean, if he would have measured the tank, I'm 80 years old. I don't have what it takes. Stewardship says, let the young guys do it. But by faith, God said, no, I'm going to give this to you. And he did it. Um, love, love that story. Now, in verse 63 of chapter 15, um, and I'm just trying to hit some highlights. And you can see there, there's a lot of cities that are named. Um, and you go all the way down, verse 63. And I think the notable piece uh, that I want to bring to your attention, it says, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Well, that was the days leading up to when David would go and then take Jerusalem. So it was going to be some years later before Jerusalem is ever taken as the capital and the spiritual headquarters of the nation. So, yeah, be uh, generations to come before that takes place. In chapter 16, um, really what you have here is all of the borders of Ephraim. Um, I'm not going to read through all of those borders. Um, you can, uh, what I did um, today, I pulled out some maps and I put it on audio and I just followed the maps and tried to follow all the boundaries and look at it. Um, there's no way to effectively do that here this evening, but I, that's, that's what be my encouragement to you with these uh, geographical locations, um, if that is something that is um, of interest to you. Um, in chapter 17, we'll see, um, let's read at the end of chapter 16. And it says, uh, verse 9, The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Interesting. They, were, they had enough power to force them into labor, but they did not drive them out. Because as you read this, it's like if you, have enough, if you have enough to make them forced laborers, then you had enough to drive them out. And um, they did not do that. They, they came up short on that piece. And we'll, we'll, I believe we're going to come back to that point here and um, later on in the text. But just to kind of know that. Uh, chapter 17, um, what we're going to find out is that um, they're, they're going to, Ephraim is going to ask for more land, Ephraim and Manasseh. So move down to verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong and they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So you see that point again. I, I would say this is a matter of obedience and not a matter of ability. They were given a strict command to drive them out, but they didn't. So verse 14 through 18 says, Then the children of Joseph, all right, so Manasseh and Ephraim are the children of Joseph, spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, okay, see, you're so great, then why don't you go up into the forest country and clear a place for yourself in the land of the Perizzites and the giants so that the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you? It's like you want more and you're a great people, then go act like a great people. Go chop the trees down, make your cities, make the fields. Oh, and while you're up there, kill the giants. He's like, well, no, we're great people and we want more. And he's like, I'm having a hard time seeing this. And so verse 16, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those um, who are at Beth Shan, Beth Shan, some of you have been there, and its towns and those in the valley of Jezreel, which is where the valley, uh, uh, Megiddo um, is in the valley of Jezreel. So if you're familiar with that piece of geography, that's the, the hu a huge valley um, in the northern part of Israel. Um, so that's what you need to do. Verse 17, And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall have only one lot. You shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. You've got to love Joshua. It's like, hey, what do you mean we can't win? Caleb won. Caleb fought, and he won. He killed the three giants of Anak. And I think you can kind of see as... Uh, uh, Joshua was writing this, why it was important for him to talk about Caleb um, having victory over the giants before he gets to talking about these other tribes that, you know, were complaining that they couldn't. I think the lesson for us is when we want to move on in our walk with the Lord, we must be willing to battle in faith and work to cut down those things that are hindering us from spreading out 
where the Lord has already planted us. I want more. The Lord's like, but what about what I gave you? Yeah, that's kind of tough, though. Yeah, but that's what I want you to do. Yeah, but I, I just can't see the way. But there is so much there for you. If you will go and do this, you can, you can keep cutting trees down and you can keep on developing land. You have a, a rich area to go and get. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But isn't it the, the, the truth that wherever something valuable and precious is, the enemy is going to fight to keep it from you the most? And, and so they're just not willing to do this. So when we are feeling like we don't have enough, you haven't given me enough territory. You haven't given me enough influence. You've not given me enough of this. There could be a lot of reasons, but I just want to suggest to you one thing is here, is maybe you have not possessed that which the Lord has already given to you. And you're looking down the road for something more, and yet really, go cut the oak tree down. It's right in front of you. Go take on that you know, chariot. Yeah, but it's fast. Yeah, but God can cause it to rain. Maybe if you just go against the chariot, like, you know, he, we'll read happening in the book of Judges, you know, when chariots come to fight Israel, um, they work great unless they're stuck in mud. So you go fight the chariot and I'll stick them in mud. You know, you go fight the giant and I'll send guided missiles out of your slingshot. You know, this is, this is but you can't see that. And that's where it's this whole economy of, of faith and, and stewardship, right? And they were lacking in the faith department. You have everything that you need. I have everything that I need right now. Unless my disobedience is keeping me from going in and getting what the Lord's given to me. And there's only one answer for that. It's to go get it and to leave behind. Getting more, listen to this, getting more outside of God's will is not the answer. You have to get what the Lord has given you. And so go and walk in. So I got, I'm just not happy in my life. I'm not happy in this circumstance. I'm not happy here. Yeah, but the Lord has said that in his presence is the fullness of joy. So if you have no joy in your life and you're in Christ Jesus, quit looking for other things. Quit looking for another piece of land. Whatever that metaphorically may mean for you, right? Go possess what the Lord's given to you. Fullness of joy peace, hope. These are the blessings that we have. And if you've not gone and received those things because you got some, you know, fast moving, you know, vehicles and some big trees and big guys standing in the way, but if God's put you there, he hasn't put you there to fail. And you think about the potential of what would have happened if they would have gone and all of this lumber, I mean, how valuable, I mean, to this day, lumber is valuable. He gave them resources, but all they could see was a reason to retreat. Very sad. So interesting little principles we can draw out from the Word of God, huh? Let's move into chapters 18 and 19. And um, the remaining tribes that we've not talked about are going to receive uh, their allotment. And it's going to be distributed there at Shiloh. So look at verse 1 of chapter 18. Now... The whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a, I mean you, we just read that. It's like, okay, historical information. No, the tabernacle of meeting, the Ark of Covenant, where the nation would gather for all of their mandatory feasts is here. Now, we just read, well, didn't they go to Jerusalem? No, they didn't go to Jerusalem because they didn't drive out the Jebusites. So then, well, where's the tabernacle? Well, you just got the answer. The answer is, it is in Shiloh. So if you put up that next map, and um, what you see here is um, right in the mint, you have that kind of circle down in the bottom. You can ignore that for a second. Um, that's highlighting something else. But in the middle, following that purple line, that's Shiloh, and we're going to be mentioning Shechem in just a little bit. But it's in the central um, uh, highlands of Israel, and it is... Um, it's, it's to the west of the Jordan River. It is to the south of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And that little body of water you see at the bottom, that's the Dead Sea. So that kind of gives you, it's right in the, the center. That's kind of where they sliced through when they went and they attacked the Gibeonites. They had to go through that area. So that's the location um, of where they are. Shiloh is a spiritual headquarters while Shechem becomes the um, head, the, the capital of the country. The tabernacle is going to remain in Shiloh for 300 years until it will be captured 
under the uh, priestly reign of Eli and his two terrible sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And so for 300 years, I mean, that's a long time. We haven't even been a country that long. For 300 years, this is where they're going to come and this is where they're going to hold the Passover. This is where they're going to have all their feasts. This is where they're going to make the sacrifices. It's a highly significant place. Um, again, Eli ministered here until the time of his death and he died when he got report that the uh, Philistines, um, um, kind of out in the Philistine territory uh, towards the, the Mediterranean Sea, um, had captured that. And when he found out, he, um, he ended up falling over and dying. And, you know, that was the end of his life. And um, it stays in their hands until, um, you know, it doesn't stay with the. It's kind of a funny story, actually. The Philistines get it. Um, and they put it in the temple of their uh, god, Dagon. And Dagon keeps falling down prostrate and breaking into pieces. And then they break out with hemorrhoids. It becomes a real pain for them. Um, I think there's a little humor there in the scriptures. It becomes a real pain for them. We're like, we got to get rid of this. And then they, they put it on a, um, an, uh, a cart that's pulled by oxen. And it comes rolling into Beth Shemesh. Some of you have been to Beth Shemesh. And um, I, it's one of my favorite places to go when we go to Israel because it's just as it was. And, and actually, at the time of the year we go, it's the wheat harvest time. And as you're at Beth Shemesh, um, you can, you're standing in the ancient village um, and you can see the wheat fields out there and you know exactly, the Bible tells you exactly where the cart's coming from and how the, um, uh, the ark comes back into their, their presence and they bring it in there and they put it in. And, and the text says, um, they lay it upon a very large stone. I don't have the picture of it, but I've been there. And um, there is a stone that is large enough. We don't know if it is, but there's a stone that's large enough there in Beth Shemeth that they discovered a couple of years ago that would have fit the dimensions of where the Ark of the Covenant could have set. So I got to stand on it. I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not, but that's what I did. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's just fun to think about it. If it's not it, then, you know, we, we still know one that was there. But in the place where they found it, there were double thick walls. And when they uncovered it, that little room had been desecrated and filled up with animal feces. So something, want, you know, the, the enemy wanted to do to make certain that that area was desecrated. But that's kind of a little bit of history of Shiloh. And, and then, you know, the worship never goes back to Shiloh because from there, it'll eventually make its way to Jerusalem. So a little bit of information um, about what was going on. But this is where Hannah came. When, you know, her and Penina, right? And um, Elkanah, their husband. Um, Penina is able to have children. Hannah is not. And she comes and she weeps before the Lord, praying and petitioning. And the Lord said, I will give you a son. And indeed, she has a son. And his name is Samuel. And after he is weaned, he's brought and he's brought back to um, Shiloh, and he's raised in the house uh, of the Lord, which I was just thinking about this today, and it's like, these guys were creeps. Eli and Hophni and Phine, these were like creeps. And um, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I would have wanted to, oh, I wouldn't have wanted to send my kids to them. And, um, and, I, and I was just pondering that, and obviously it was the will of the Lord, and God knew but I think the great thing is, it doesn't matter how bad our environment is, when we follow the Lord, he will be faithful to raise us up. So parents, I mean, we live in, you know, some creepy times, but you know what? Raise them in the ways of the Lord. You pray for them. The Lord is faithful. He's able to keep your kids. So don't, don't become panicky, right? Samuel made it. Your kids can make it too. Um, and, you know, at Shiloh, all kinds of archaeological evidence I mean, um, some of you have been there, um, and you walk around, and you can see the site, and um, there's, it, it's one of the major digs that is going on in the country right now. Well, into chapter 18, verse 2, all the way down to chapter 19, verse 51, uh, the remaining tribes get their allotment. The tribes are Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulon, Eschar, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. So, um, kind of working from the bottom on that map that you've seen a couple of times now, which would be on the left side, the west side. You have Simeon, the purple, and then you have, uh, moving up, you have Dan and Benjamin, and then if you move up to the top, you get the other uh, four, which are Asher, Naphtali, Zebulon, and Issachar. So those are the ones that had not received 
their land as yet. But let's, let's come and look at, in chapter 19, let's go and look at verses 40 through 48. So then the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families. And the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Ishtal, Ir Shemesh. And so, can you put the next slide up actually? And um, I don't know how well, can you guys see like the red outline kind of down in the, you can't see that? All right, good. So that's the borders of um, Dan. So they're in the southwest on the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's what all of those cities give you. So verses 41 through 46, if you follow it around, that is the border of Dan. We'll just keep on um, reading. It says, And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem, or Laish, and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name Dan their father, this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. So what, how far away is this? Well, can, if you move on up um, in that map and you can see the circle at the top, Dan, I mean, they went a long distance from their inheritance. Um, and so this portion of land just basically was left. And they went up there. Now, Dan is a beautiful, I mean, where they, where they camped was beautiful um, and where they went. But that is also the location where they're going to, one of the two locations where they're going to set up calf worship and say, this is Yahweh. And um, say, this is your God. And this is, you know, we'll get to that. But that's, that is the kind of the significant piece. So um, they move from the southwest. They move up to the north. They do not receive the inheritance that was given to them. Verse 49, when they had made an end of the dividing the land as an inheritance according to the, their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord. It's good to read that again, right? They gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath, Sirah, and the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of their fathers of the tribes of children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh. So they would, you know, they were casting lots to see where they would be. Before the Lord at the tabernacle of meeting, so they made an end of dividing the country. So um, kind of comes to a time of rest. There's still more land to be conquered, but the initial thrust of taking and, um, and inhabiting the land has happened. Now as we move into chapter 20, um, we're going to come to something we've already, this will be the third time we've talked about the cities of refuge. So as we were going through the five books of Moses, twice um, this came up where there would be these uh, cities of refuge. So let's read a couple of verses there in chapter 20. The Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourself cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. So you killed somebody's brother, whatever, sister, and it was done accidentally, unintentionally. You're chopping wood and the axe handle or uh, axe head flies off and it ends up striking them and killing them. Rather than having to die, you could run and you could find a city of refuge. Verse 4, when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them. In other words, you got to protect him. And give him a place and they may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because... He struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. And then he gives the names of the places where they're going to be. So I think the uh, thing that's not stated is time has elapsed, the high priest has died, and now 
those that would want to avenge you are gone because if they're still there, I don't know how good of an idea it would be to return. But what you can see on this map here is that you have three, and I've just circled them, um, from south to north, east to west, you have, uh, you know, the Jordan River that's coming, down that natural boundary. So you have three on, on the east, you have three on the west, which meant you were never too far of a run to get to a city of refuge, which is, means this, the Lord wanted refuge to be accessible. He wanted a person to be able to go and find life and to be protected. Now, if you had intentionally killed, this was not a place to run unless you're hoping to just kind of get one over on the, the hearing that would happen in that town. Uh, but the, in that case, you know, judgment was going to be uh, given to you, and as a murderer, you would have been stoned to death. Now, I think we have here a picture of Jesus as our city of refuge, and that in our sin, whether intentional or whether unintentional or intentional, though, and this is where Jesus does out, outdoes the city of refuge, right? Um, you can come to him, and he is never very far away. He is in that confession of faith is in your mouth. Make it that he is your Lord and your Savior, and you can be saved from the wrath and the consequences of your actions. The soul that sins will surely die. Every one of us in here is sin, which means we are under judgment. But God does not want to judge, so he has set up his son as that ultimate city of refuge that we can run to. And the location, if you will, is Calvary, right? It's running to the place where he atoned for our sins and we call upon him and he forgives and he pours out his grace upon him. If this is not something you have done, and yet you are well aware of your sin against God and your disobedience. I mean, the world may applaud your sin, and you may have even found ways to justify your sin and feel good about your sin compared to people that are worse than you. But when it's all said and done and the noise just stops, you feel the conviction that I am not right with God. Well, listen, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to show up and say, you know, here I am, Am I all right? Because I can tell you, the Bible tells you, Jesus has told you, um, nobody's jumping over the fence to get into heaven. You've got to come through the door. And the door is who? It's Jesus. You've got to come through him. There's no, nobody scales the walls into heaven or the kingdom of God. You come through the door. And Jesus is that good shepherd. You know, when you have um, shepherds, in those days they would have these rock walls and pens that they would bring, or they could be briar um, kind of brambles that they would set up as a, a boundary and they would bring the uh, sheep or the, the goats into this fold at night. And you know what the, the shepherd would do? He would lay across this narrow opening. Narrow, not wide. A really narrow opening. He would lay right there so you couldn't get in and you couldn't get out unless you passed through the door and, Jesus, and the shepherd was the door and Jesus is our great, you know, the great shepherd. And so you've got to come to him. So there's so many you know, metaphors. He's a bread of life, right? He's the door. He's that city of refuge. However your mind most easily wraps around it, he gave you a lot of choices. You've got to come to him. Because if you don't, you will pay for the price for both your intentional and unintentional sins. But in Christ, you're forgiven. So come running to him. The gate is wide open through Jesus Christ. Into chapter 21, again, I don't know, second time, third time, fourth time, um, we've covered this idea of the cities for the Levites, right? Joshua 21. I'm going to skip down to verse 41, 42. It says, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands, so pasture lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all these cities. So they end up with 48 uh, different Cities, I have no map for you at that. This just looks like a bunch of red dots on the map. Um, so, but they're, they're all listed for you, um, to, you know, to, to, to think about and to, to follow. Um, but what, why is this different? Well, let's read at verse 1. Why do they get 48 cities in, and not territories? And that is a distinction. Everything we've read up until this point is they're getting boundaries, right? They're getting locations, geographical regions. This, the Levites don't get that. They get cities and the land that's right around it to do farming. So you kind of pick up on that there um, in verse uh, 21, verse 1. Then the heads of the fathers 
houses of the Levites came near to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands, pasture lands, for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance the com- uh, at the commandment of the Lord these cities uh, and their common lands. And so it goes through the list of those different cities. And so they had the privilege, the Levites were the ones that worked in the temple, they're the ones that worked at Shiloh, worked at Jerusalem. They were the ones, there was order, there were times in which they would be on duty and they would come. And when they weren't there, then they would go back to their homes, they would you know, farm the land, they would do what they, they would do. But they didn't have geographical areas. Now why? Well, we read that the Lord was going to be the inheritance. So in other words, the Lord's saying, you get to serve me completely and totally, and serving me is all the inheritance you need. What a privilege it is to be able to serve the Lord. And I believe there is such a powerful connection in that truth for us under the new covenant because we're told in Peter that we are a royal priesthood. We are the servants of the Lord in the house of the Lord today. It's us. It's the church. And we have this connection. I think the idea here is... For practical reasons, I'm not giving you an an entire territory to manage because that requires an army. That requires, you know, constant attention to the borders and to people encroaching. And that's going to be a a much larger project. So that's going to be Judah's issue. That's going to be Simeon and Issachar and Zebulun. They're going to have to do that. But all of them, while they're managing the borders, they're going to give you cities. And all you're going to have to worry about is just making you know, just taking care of living life. Because practically, that is a large investment of time and effort and energy to manage a whole area than, than just the little town that you have, which means they could give themselves entirely to the work of the Lord, right? That they could have that focus in, in ministry. Um, and I think the idea is similar to the words of Jesus to us, is that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, this is not in our inheritance. This is not where we're going to live for the rest of our life. You know, you may like what you have, but you're going to like what's coming a whole lot more. And, and we don't want to get so caught up here that we lose sight of the work that the Lord has left behind for us to do. And we are the priests and the priestesses of the, of the new covenant order. And we've got to be focused so seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, they'll all be added unto you. You know, all that other stuff, don't worry about it. Just do what I've asked you to do first. And I think there's, a, there's this picture we have in these Levitical cities. So look at the end of um, chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which we, he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man (coughs) of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God is faithful. And God is faithful to you. There is not a word of the promise that God has given to you that are in Christ Jesus that will not come to pass. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with you. He's going to walk with you through the ups and the downs. He's going to be faithful. He's going to complete the work in you, just like he completed the work in the conquering of the land. He is going to usher you one day from this life as you die and go into the next, or maybe we will be a raptured generation. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't know that I have a whole lot of say in it, though. But I'm just, it may be a raptured generation. We maybe go in that instant where the Lord calls us home and we, you know, launch up into heaven but every generation so far has gone through natural means but they've all come into the presence of the Lord and they've come to you know experience their inheritance we will inherit the fullness of the, all that God has planned in the next life but today we're battling to live in the real blessings that he has set aside for us now so it's not like we have to sit and wait only for what's to come no walk in inherit drive out the Canaanites Live the life that God has called you to live. But 
you're going to sit on a throne with Jesus in heaven. I mean, that's just crazy talk. I mean, if that's not in Scripture, that's blasphemy. But it's in Scripture. Read it. Revelation 3. You're going to sit on a throne and you're going to rule and reign with Christ. What matters here? I mean, when you, when you put it in that perspective, what matters? You know, it's like, well, I got to get, I gotta, I'm just buying up a lot of gold right now. That's asphalt in heaven. You're going to look like a fool if you go to heaven you got asphalt in your pocket. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I brought all this in. But asphalt? It's gold. Yeah, look, asphalt. I mean, and so we, get, we can get so caught up in the things of this life. And I'm not, I'm not saying you. I'm saying we can get caught up in these things. The entertainment, the pleasure, the, the fun things, the things we enjoy doing and all the rest. And there's, there's freedom for that. But not when it takes away from us being headlong, running after the Lord with all that we have. So, God is faithful. Into chapter 22... The eastern tribes fulfill their obligation to help with the conquest. We've been showing those maps of east and west. Well, the two and a half tribes that were on the eastern side, were, um, they had that victory. That land was won before they crossed the Jordan River and came in the promised land. They said, hey, we just want to stay here. Moses said, that's fine, but you're going to have to come fight. Just like we all helped and fought for you to get this land, you're going to come over and fight. And they said, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll fight with you. And chapter 22 um, records the faithfulness of those two and a half tribes on the eastern side fulfilling their obligation um, in the conquest. So uh, Joshua called, verse 1, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So those are two and a half tribes. And said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Wow. That's good. And that's what we all hope to hear the Lord say to us one day. Is you've done it all. You did everything I asked you to do. I mean, I don't know that any of us will hear those exact words lived over an entire lifetime. But if we get anything close to it, if we get something like, well done, my good and faithful servant. What is that? What's that going to be like? I mean, what is your face, you know, when you get kind of like this shocked, amazing, what is your face going to feel like when the creator of the universe, the king of kings says, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of the way you lived your life. Is there anything that you will have given up in this lifetime that's going to feel like a loss at that moment? <laughs> We're going to think, oh, I could have done more, Lord. So they were faithful. Um, in verse 8, he commands them to return. Um, they, they, they have many riches. So at Ai, um, at Jericho, excuse me, they weren't allowed to take any of the spoil, but they took plenty of spoil all the rest of the way. Poor dumb Achan. Man, he, he just, he cashed in the chips too early, didn't he? Just couldn't wait. And look, I mean, look at this. He says, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, with very much clothing, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So this, this open-handed generosity that we are to walk with, uh, something that's seen in the early church where um, in Acts chapter 2 that they were distributing to the needs as anybody had need, right? They were sharing, they were ministering, a continual exhortation found throughout scriptures. Something we're going to talk about as we go through James as well. In verse 10, though, an interesting thing happens, and I think, I'm not going to read this whole section, but um, let me just summarize it, and we'll read a couple of verses. Um, on the way back, the two and a half tribes are like, oh, all right, this is great, we're crossing the river. And somebody says, Man, I hope in generations to come they remember that we still have a right to come across this river. I, rem I hope that they don't forget that we have, we have a right to come to Shiloh and to worship. I hope they don't begin in the generations to come that they're like, who is this people that's on the eastern side of the Jordan that crosses and comes into our land? You have no right here. So what they decided to do is verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the 
half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of, <coughs> of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. And so what they think is happening is that they're building a, a, a worship site where they're going to offer sacrifices and they're going to worship other gods and like, oh no, you don't. You're not doing that. So they, they gather to, to go and fight them and, and to destroy them because they feel like they're apostatizing already. Well, they get together and as they, they begin to talk about it, they find out that's not the case. But I, I, we mentioned Achan and he comes up again in verse 20. It says, did not Achan the son of Zerah Commit a trespass and the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Look, if they're going to go worship another god, we're going to bear the consequences of their sinful actions. We're not going to bear the consequences of their sinful actions. They're told not to build an altar where they would worship another god, so let's go wipe them out. I mean, they are serious in their zeal for the Lord. Well, as they go and <coughs> talk to them, they find out there in verse 25, um, I believe it's in verse 5, in verse 24, no, 23, it says, if we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord... <coughs> himself required an account but in fact we've done it for fear for a reason saying in time to come your descendants may speak to our descendants saying <clears throat> what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel for the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us you children of Reuben children of Gad you have no part in the Lord so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifice. So it's more a memorial thing. So, so they get this cleared up, and when they find out um, that that's the case, it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's satisfactory. We won't kill you, um, and you are welcome back here anytime. Um, so you see the zeal of this group. You see the awareness that you don't sin in a vacuum. When you sin... It impacts people around you. Well, wow, nobody's hurt by this. Not true. It's not true. It grieves the, the Spirit of God. At the very least, which is not a very least kind of a description, you grieve the moving and the working of the Spirit of God in the midst of, of, of a congregation. There could be consequences that begin to happen. And certainly within your homes, this is easily seen of the trouble that could come. So a lot to learn, a lot to glean from this. I, I, I'll just leave it for you to pick this up and run with it. It's important to get all the information before acting. It's good that they didn't shoot the arrows and ask the questions later. They, they, they came for war, but they, they had the conversation. And fortunately, Gad and Manasseh and the Reubenites were not so prideful. They're like, oh, you want to fight? Then we'll fight. That they actually were humble enough to say, Hang on, guys. You're misunderstanding. You know, so allow the Lord to kind of work that into some of your, your conversations. I think we're going to make it here. Chapter 23. <clears throat> um, you know what? I, I don't think we will. I think, I think I'm going to end right there because these are two chapters that I think we can spend a lot of time on. Just, um, you know, choose to stay whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I go the way of all the earth. <clears throat> we'll see um, Joshua pass from this life and talk about dying. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can pick up. I don't want to rush through this. We'll, we'll slow it down and get the last two chapters um, in our, our next study in the book of Joshua. So let, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And I find it so fun to, to read these historical accounts of battles and boundaries and giants and chariots. And, and yet, Lord, there's lessons for us, which is exactly what 
the New Testament says that these things were written for our learning and for our admonition. And we see the good things that they did. We see the foolish things that they did. We see Achan, and then we see the two and a half tribes that did everything that they were asked to do. Lord, we want to be like them. We want to be faithful. Lord, we want to walk into the full inheritance that you have given to us. So Lord, speak to our hearts. I want you just to quietly ponder, is there, are you wanting more, and yet, did you really steward well what you had before and have right now? I want more, I need this, I want that. But have you, have you gone up into the forest and cut down the trees and you know, taken out a few fast-moving chariots and lumbering giants? Where's the Lord planted you? Where's he placed you? He's going to bring you back to those places that you can get your inheritance, that you can find what the Lord has for you. I don't know, maybe some of you, have, you've pushed it away for six months, 16 months, 16 years. I don't know. But you've not, you've not, you've not done the job. And yet you can feel the, you can feel the, disappointment within you you're not satisfied and all you can think to do is I need more I need more inheritance I need more land and the Lord's like mm, you got what you need go get it drive out the Canaanites get rid of the pornography get rid of the bitterness get rid of the unforgiveness get rid of the lying get rid of the stealing the thievery get rid of the pettiness get rid of the the you know the negativity that everything is terrible and that criticalness is like, listen, you're drying up all the springs. <laughs> That's why you're thirsty. It's not that the springs are not rich and full and that there aren't forests and there's not land. It's like you're torching your blessing. You got, you got to go fight for it. And the Lord has already given it to you. That, that's the thing that I think we probably all find so frustrating with ourselves is he's already given it to us. But we don't go get it because we don't believe. We have our eyes set on other things like Aiken. We're happy to cash it in early and just grab a couple of little trinkets and meanwhile we miss out on the, the carts full of God's blessings that he has intended for our life. I don't know, maybe the portion about the Levitical cities just speaks to you. I mean, you're, you're going in a thousand ways. There's no way you can seek God's kingdom first because you're going so hard after everything else. Yeah, but I have to. No, you don't. No, I don't. What's required of us is that we seek first the kingdom of God.